and for the rest of us who are young at heart, uh, we're going to continue to look at what I've kind of just uh, kind of coined the idea. It's you know responding to uh, the doctrine. We talked about you know what is God. We worked through the the doctrine of God, right? The teachings about God. As we work through that series and. Uh, you guys stuck it out. You stuck. You keep coming back. So praise the Lord. That's encouraging to me. Uh, but as we, we work through that, I, I wanted to just kind of work and look at Scripture. How do we respond to that? It's really the, the kind of the question in a big sense of what am I, am I, I've been addressing. And I looked at it in just a few different ways. One is to say, hey, you have a responsibility here. The more you know, right, the more of a responsibility you have. Um, not simply in your own life, but to be active in evangelism. You know more about who God is. And I pray that that series did that for you as we looked at those, not exhaustive in any sense, uh, but as we looked at, Lord, as, as God is spirit and infinite and eternal and changeable and his being and wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth, those things begin to resonate in you. And it reminds you, especially during worship. So we looked at the responsibility, and I also addressed the privileges and honor um, and you have been called by his great name. You are, you're uh, wonderfully blessed to realize that you have Christ, not in part, but in whole. You're a part of his family. Jesus Christ is the elder brother, right? So we're adopted into that family. And of course, I went through those uh, list of those things, and we could probably add much more to that list. That wasn't exhaustive either. But what I'd like to do today and, and next Sunday, the Lord willing, is to look at how do we glorify him? How do we come to this place where we glorify his great name? How do we get a hold of these songs we sing? We will glorify, right? King of kings and Lord of lords. How do we see that resonating and, and bellowing up in us? And that's what I would like to look at this morning. See, I believe, uh, and again, I, I think I've said this, but um, every Sunday when we come, we want to open God's word. We want to see it instruct us, and we want it to lead us to a place where we can grow in our maturity. I mean, that's our, that's our desire. It's not perfection. It's direction. We're going somewhere, Right? We don't want to be the same as we were last Sunday. We want to be a little bit more uh, stronger in our faith and more um, resolved and confident in it. And so it's same with the glory of God, right? We, we want to develop. We want to see it grow in us. There's a, if you're familiar with this story uh, by C.S. Lewis, the, the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, I know they made a few movies of it, I, I guess, I don't know, 10-ish years ago. I'm not sure how long that was now. Uh, but there's the time when, when Lucy, one of the characters, returns to Narnia and she sees Aslan, who is the, the Jesus figure, if you're familiar with that. And, and she goes, she sees him from a distance. She runs up to Aslan, this big giant lion, and, and gives him a big hug. And she notices that he's bigger. His paws are bigger. And he, she responds to this in saying, Aslan, you have gotten a lot bigger. And he responds in the story, as C.S. Lewis kind of paints this picture for us, is that he says, you've gotten older. And he goes on to explain that as you get older, right, I become bigger to you. And I think that's true in a lot of senses is, you know, as we get older, some of us may think, well, I'm closer to the grave, right? So I need the Lord Jesus. Uh, that's certainly true. And yet we don't want to wait to that point in our lives, right? But as we mature in Christ, I believe the, the Lord becomes bigger. Um, as we get older in the Lord, as we mature, we see him becoming bigger. And there should be a desire growing, wellowing up in us to, to make him known, to glorify his name. So that's my desire, is to, to look at this and say, how do we 
how do we understand who God is and yet make him bigger and realize that we're going to glorify this, this great God? How do we begin? So I'd like to just offer a brief prayer and we'll look into some passages this morning. Father, we thank you for this time you've given to us. We realize, Lord, we are here for the good work you've begun, the work you're doing. We know you're faithful to it. And so we commit this time, Lord, to you, this message to you. Encourage us, teach us by your spirit. Instruct us from your word. And Lord, as always, get me out of the way that every soul would be fixed upon you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as, we've, as I mentioned just uh, moments ago, this is, this is our response to who God is, right? It is our, and I use the word, duty, right? You have a duty of a responsibility in which to, to make God known, to walk with him. And, I, and a few Sundays back, I used uh, just four simple things to help us start moving this direction as part of a responsibility. And I mentioned separating from the world. Right? And that deals with not just, hey, I'm going to separate from the world. We're in the world, but we're not to be of the world. And so it means that we have to be aware of the worldview that is uh, impressing upon us. And all your social media platforms and all the, the television and news, unfortunately, it's all conditioning us to just accept the norm, which is a worldview. So you have to be very careful of that. So we want to separate from the world. We want to be biblical in our thinking. We also want to have a committed time to, and I use the word, wait upon the Lord. Right? Commune with him. Pray with him. Right? When Jesus says, when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray. And he also gives us instruction in the Sermon on the Mount that we should go into our secret place. Right? Find that place where you are with the Lord. Commune and wait upon him. I also use study the word. Don't be afraid of, of theological words. Right? I don't know them all. I'm sure you don't know them all either. We continue to grow and continue to learn. But don't let certain passages of scripture keep us. Uh, from mining God's word. Some truths, and I know I'm, I'm borrowing this from somebody, it might be Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, some truths take effort to mine out of God's word. Right? We just, the, the Lord you know, has made a reference one time, the, the Bible sometimes just doesn't yield up simple truths. It does, but some have to be mined. So have that, that uh, resolve as you approach God's word. And then I said, trust him. Right? You've got to trust him. There's times in life where we just look upon the situation and we go, I don't know what's going on here. But I know who is Lord over all of it. The verse I use, and I'll read it again, is Micah 6, 8. Right? He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. He phrases that rhetorically. This is what we are to be doing. So here was my response to that question, what is God, as we addressed it. Here it is, you know, walk after him. And again, as, as uh, I told you, and I will say it again, I borrowed that question from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and I am once again, I didn't plan to do this, but it works really well with going into glorifying God. I'm going to borrow from that catechism again, this time the very first question. I believe in that catechism there's a little over 100 questions, but this is the first question. This is where they begin. And the catechism says this, what is the chief end of man? Right? What a question. What a great question. The answer is succinct and simple, which is why I, I, I like it. I don't know about you, but I like succinct and simple. And the answer is man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Glorify God and enjoy him forever. Here's our chief end, right? To glorify God. 
Now, as we think about this, I want you to realize that we are not adding to God's glory. Remember in Isaiah 6-3, where Isaiah has this vision, and he sees the angels around the throne of God, and they are singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole whole earth is full of his glory. Right? They say he's full of glory. They're not proclaiming or adding to. They're not giving God glory. They're proclaiming that God is glory. It is his glory. The whole earth entails his glory. So we have this idea that God is, of course, uh, he is intrinsic in his nature. He is uh, glory, right? He has glory unto himself. That's important for us to understand. You know, he, if, if we weren't created, if God just said, you know what, I'm not going to create anything, I'm not going to create the world, would he still be worthy of all glory? And the answer, of course, is yes. Uh, we see this unto himself. The Lord doesn't need us to give him glory. He is sufficient, sufficiently glorious unto himself. He is intrinsic in glory. So what are we talking about when we come to this and saying, how do I glorify his name? How do I, how do I glorify God? Well, I believe it's the manifestation. It is the, the acknowledging and proclaiming who God is. There's a wonderful example of this, I think, in Exodus 33, verses 18 through 23, where Moses, who is, you know, he's already dealt with, if you're familiar with Moses' story, the golden calf incident, and, and now the Lord is telling him to move forward, and he's saying, you know what, I don't want to go forward if you don't go with me. And Moses has this moment, which I think is just incredible boldness, right? He says these words, and I'll, I'll read it for you. Exodus 33, 18 through 23, he says, Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And God responds to him. He said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face. For no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock, and it will come about while my glory is passing by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, my face shall not be seen. We kind of have this interesting picture, don't we? When God created the angels in heaven, he created them, right? To have wings that would cover their face. Sinless angels, pure, right? To no sin at all, and yet God designed them and made them this way where they would not look upon God's holiness, God's glory. I think this is Something the church, I know we can't step into to Moses' sh- shoes or his flip-flops, rather, um, but it's something that we should have a desire in us. Isn't that dwelling in you, an element of saying, God, for, for just a moment, will you show me your glory? I have often prayed out of, uh, in my prayer time, I, I find myself citing Psalm 84, where it says, you know, just to be one day as a doorkeeper in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I find myself, I know with our culture and everything going on, Lord, can I just have a taste of what it would be like to just sit in the doorway, to be a doorkeeper? There's no comparison. I pray this for the church, that for us, 
You have a desire to realize there's some, something, right? God is so greater than what uh, we can possibly imagine, that we would grow in our understanding. We'd grow and just be amazed at who God is. God, show me your glory. Dr. Chalmers one time made this statement, and he was challenging pastors. He was talking about pastors who just simply give a message, and they go, well, that's a good message. Here's, a, here's a three points, and here's some, you know, some basic uh, fill it out in, in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> he was quite displeased with pastors who would preach that way, and so he said, it's like as if you pastors go to the ocean, and you take a cup, and you fill that cup with ocean water, and then you come back to your church, and you set it on a table, and you say, look, church, look at the ocean. Of course, his response is the rebuke. Sometimes we get, we get so focused on, look at this little cup of water. We try to say, look, it's the ocean. And unfortunately, there are many people who go, my pastor said, that's the ocean. And our view of God is so small. Too often we come to that table, we stare at that cup, and we go, well, that's it. There's the ocean. And yet we see in Moses, show me your glory. And God says, I'll cover you. I'll protect you just like the angels, right? And I'll let my goodness pass by. If you're familiar with that, he came walking down, didn't he? He was glowing. They didn't know it. We need to be overwhelmed, right? We need to be overwhelmed once again with the glory of God to realize he has called you by, right, to his name. He identifies you as a part of his family, Christ didn't pay just for some of your sins so you can have a good life now. That's immensely offensive to a God who says, no, there's a bigger picture here. Don't settle for the cup of, of ocean water on the table, right? We live for something so much greater. Because God is great, we have this privilege in our lives to array and profess and to live out, right, God's glory. He's done something for me that no one else would dare even think about doing for me. I did it just not in part, he did it in whole, so I can live for God with a godly behavior, contrary to the world. I can, I can teach my family and my kids to say, let's open the Bible, let's talk about who this God is. He didn't give us a bunch of pictures in a book, right? It's up for interpretation. If you've never gone to a museum, or not a museum, but a, an art gallery of sorts, and you look at paintings and you go, wow, this, this really makes me feel like jumping up and down. And someone next to them says, what well, makes me feel like laying down and, and going to sleep? And the next one says, I stared into my soul when I saw this painting and it was just dark and whatever it might be, right? God doesn't give us a bunch of pictures. No, he wants you to know who he is. He gives us words and he gives us grammar and he gives us languages. So he wants us to proclaim this. John MacArthur, when he was preaching on this passage back in 1974, yeah, I was barely alive, okay, so don't make me old. But I thought he made this statement. I thought, this is so good. He says, it means to magnify his glory before the world. He says, you're not adding to his nature. You're enhancing the doctrine about him. How wonderful is that? We have, we've gone through this, this series on what is God, and we said he's infinite, eternal, unchangeable. We're not adding to his glory. He will be glorified. We are simply proclaiming it. We're simply praising it. We're simply singing it. We're simply living it. You know, when Jesus came into Jerusalem in the triumphal entry, 
The Pharisees didn't like that scene, right? Because all the people were praising him and worshiping him. Well, his disciples were doing the same. Of course, that, right, is not right. So they go and they tell Jesus, you need to rebuke your disciples. You need to rebuke them. Jesus doesn't say that. Listen to this. Luke records this for us. Luke 19. 37 through 40 says, as soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had, uh, they had seen, shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of those Pharisees right in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Listen to Jesus' response, but Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. What is Jesus saying? God will be praised. He will be glorified. The angels in, in Isaiah, the whole earth, proclaims the glory of God. It's all around us. God is infinitely glorious. So we are to proclaim to a lost world the glory of God through the preaching of his word on the Lord's day. We're to, to teach his word in all our small groups, whether Sunday morning or midweek or student ministries or children's ministries. We're to proclaim the glory of God in our daily decisions with your spouse or with your children. We're to weave that in in our daily devotions and our communing with God when we're waiting on him. We're to be filled with an allness and overwhelmed of God's glory through our conversations and our interactions with people, right? In our evangelism, we are to proclaim this is who God is. And through our, our biblical worship, we're to sing out glory in the highest. We will glorify the Lord of Lords. We will glorify the King. I will build my life upon this truth. He is worthy. We will glorify him. So here's the question as we get into this by a little bit of a lengthy introduction Where's the starting point? It's already in your notes. Point one, God's glory must be your conviction. It must be who you are. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. I think this is a very simple verse. You might disagree with me, but it's, it's very simple, but it has profound insights. If we are not convinced on who God is, right, then we're not going to live for his glory. I mean, Paul is simply saying that the mundane things of life, whether you are eating and drinking, do it all for the glory of God. He puts this do all in an imperative mood. That verb there is a command. He is saying, I command you to do everything. And if you're going to do everything for the glory of God, you have to have, I think, some type of conviction on who God is. This is who he is, and this is how I'm going to live through the big things of life, but through the mundane things of life, eating, drinking, going to work. No amens to that. I know going to school, students, right? No amens to that one either. The countless decisions of your life, the things you go through, this is what Paul is saying. You need to have a conviction. We get up each day, we go through this rhythm, right? We know Monday's coming and this is what I do. For me, it's like, how quickly can I get to the coffee maker? How quickly can I make a cup of coffee? How much coffee can I get in my body? Now that sounds a little bit abusive, but that's not far from it. 
And then we go out the door, we go through our routines, and sometimes we never stop and think about it. I don't know if you've ever had that day when you're driving, those who, who drive to work. Have you ever had that moment where you got to work and you went, did I stop at all the red lights between home and here? Is that, am I the only one who feels like that's scary, isn't it? There's moments where you're like, I drove here and I don't recall stopping. Did I stop at that stop sign? I have a lot of grace for those who just, you know, they go through and they're like, ah, oh, they're mine someplace else. Have you ever had that moment where you just go, you know what, I just wasn't thinking, but you were thinking about all the other countless things you've got to do in your day, and, and the autopilot kicks in, and you're just going through the motions. But see, we have to snap out of those things. That's just kind of a simple illustration, but we have to come back to this idea of, of having some religious convictions, which means you have to have some very strong beliefs, conviction being strong beliefs about God. You have to be convinced that he's true to his word. You have to be convinced that he's, he's not going to change. You have to be convinced that eternity is in his hand and, and he holds you and he won't let you go. But even beyond that, we have to be convinced that simply God is worthy unto himself. Because this is who he is. So how do we get this? Well, I put in your notes, we have to have some self-sacrificing, right? We have to, to realize it's not about me. I, I love this as way, way of an example to this is going back to Moses' life, this time when the Lord called him. In Exodus chapter 3, when the Lord called Moses, look at the things that Moses went through in his own life that he yielded and said, you know what, I don't, I don't want these things. I want to follow after God. First off, we see that he gave up rank and greatness. I mean, he was the son, the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. Here he has, right, uh, he's, he's similar to us. He's a man. I mean, don't lose sight of that. He's just like you and us as humans. And he has at his fingertips really everything. I mean, he has all the greatness you could have. He, he could have rank and power and honor and titles and dignities and everything else we could add. This, all of it is in front of him. All of it is, he just has to be who he is, right? He doesn't have to do it. He's just the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Yet he yields this. He, he refuses pleasure. I mean, all kinds of pleasure, sensual, intellectual, social, it's all within his grasp. I mean, think for a moment how temp tempting that would be. Yeah, I'll live for God tomorrow. I mean, let's just kind of enjoy this for a little bit here. I mean, all the pleasures he has in front of him. I mean, think about how the, the, this is the currency of the world. And Moses is saying, no. He refuses riches, right? I mean, the phrase, the treasures of Egypt, he has it all. Think of the temptation here. Think about power and money. All of this is at his fingertips. He has an immense possibility of having all these things, right? It's just here. Think about the ways in which the world would covet those items. Moses says, no, I'm going I'm to be obedient. Listen to how the, the Hebrew writer writes about Moses' self-sacrificing. I think there's something for us. <clears throat> it says in Hebrews 11, 24 through 29, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking 
to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry ground. And the Egyptians, when they, were, when they attempted it, were drowned. See, Moses, he didn't, he left the riches. Let's say it this way. Riches and fame and, and rank, all that didn't leave him. He left it. And he says, and I believe the Hebrew writer has it correct, he was looking to the reward. He considered right, the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, than anything this world could produce. So I'm going to tell you right now, Moses is not staring at that cup of water on the table and going, that's the ocean. We don't get there by looking at that cup of water saying, well, there it is. Yippee. No, he's looking at the vast infinity of the ocean. Yeah, I'll go through hard times here because what's ahead of me is far greater. He endured as seeing him who is unseen. So for us to develop in this, to have a conviction like our heroes of the faith, we're going to have to do some self-sacrificing, right? If we're going to grow in this area and say we're going to glorify God and and we're not going to succumb to the riches of this world, the pleasures of this world, we're going to have to do some self-sacrificing. Well, this naturally leads to the second point I have in B, which is God must be, if, if self isn't the priority, God must become the priority. See, we're not just to simply live in our life and go through the motions and go to work. The Lord knows you need to work. He knows you have things you have to take care of. But we are to seek first the kingdom of God. We have a priority in our life as followers of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 6, 32 through 33, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount says this, For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Right? It's about food and clothing. He says, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So the priority in our life is this focus. We have to be self-sacrificing and say, you know what? I'm going to live my life and the situations of life and in the, in the, the context of my life as unto God. I'm going to put him first. Put the kingdom first. Not to worry about my life, what I'm going to eat and drink. Jesus kind of puts that on the side. You know, Paul has said in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, the mundane things, these things the Lord knows you need. Don't be worried about them. But as Jesus says, we are to glorify God through them. So the priority is God and his kingdom. See, there's a lot of opportunity today. I, I would think you would agree with me on this. To worry about tomorrow. There's a lot of things as we look upon our world, we look upon the situations, as we look upon decisions. Some of you, you parents with young kids, are thinking about what 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 will America look like when my kids get my age? What will these things look like? How will this unfold? There's a lot of opportunity in which to be fearful today. I mean, I think you would agree with me on that. But for us, it's not allow fear to bring us back to that table and it says, well, there's the glass of water. 
And for some of us, we look upon that glass and say, well, it's not even half full, right? It's half empty glass, and it's cracked. Sometimes we look at life this way. Is it half full, half empty, right? I always tease my wife. She has a tendency to look upon things half empty, and I say it's not just half empty. The, the glass is cracked, and it's leaking, right? Sometimes we're there, though. We all share in that how sad it is to come right in our prayer times and call upon God's name and think well, all you've given me is this simple glass with it's half full I'm not even 100% sure it's ocean water I'm going to call it that it's leaking see Moses looked ahead Paul's looking ahead Jesus is telling us don't worry about these things look ahead doesn't doesn't mean we have we don't work or focus on these things. No, we're to proclaim God's goodness now. In the context of your life, we're to live right for his holiness and to and to demonstrate who he is. We're to talk about his holiness and the damages of sin. We're talking about there's a there's only one hope for our souls, and it's Jesus Christ. To have an internal perspective. This is why Paul says in Philippians 1:21, for to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. How do we get there? we don't understand who God is, what God is doing, and what God will do. This is the conviction we have to have. It's not something we conjure up. Paul didn't say, you know, you should think about it and talk about it. No, he's telling you to live it. These are all actions. When you eat, when you drink, whatever you do, the glory of God. So there's our first point. We have to develop some conviction that it's not a cup of ocean water on a table. There's an ocean out there. And then for the second point here, I'd like to just address a couple of reasons. A couple of reasons, turning to Romans eleven thirty six, Paul, in this moment of doxology, he says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. See, in Romans chapter 11, Paul has been talking about how Gentiles, how you and I can get saved. He's, he says you get grafted into the branch who is Jesus Christ. And then he's, he realizes that his own fellow countrymen, the Jews, at one point, they will be grafted back in again. And he tells the Gentiles, hey, don't be prideful over this, right? Because the, the Jews are out, but one day he can bring them back in. And then he has this moment where he's just overwhelmed at the fact of what God is doing. And he just goes into worship, right? Theology leads to doxology. Here it is. He's worshiping the Lord. And at the end of that doxology, he makes that proclaim, that verse we just said. To him and through him and to him are all things. I don't know if you've ever had a moment. My, my wife loves to go on hikes. And, and our sons are, seem like the complete opposite of that, but... We always have a good joke about it. But if you've ever been out in nature, whether you've been to the ocean, right, or, or the mountains, there are those moments where you just stopped and when you looked upon God's creation, you went, wow, this is really good. God, you've done something really, really awesome here. One time when I was right out of high school, I was with my friends and we were up skiing. Let me rephrase that. All right, I was up there on skis falling down in the snow, right? <laughs> Even that's not 100% true. I was up there on skis trying not to die, okay? I'm going to be honest. <clears throat> I was thankful because it was cold because clearly my body was paying a price, right? It fell down quite a bit. But I had this moment up at Sierra Summit where 
There was one moment where I was actually standing on my skis. Uh, I don't recall being on the, on the, the snow there, but the sun was setting and there was clouds above us and the mountains were covered in snow. The trees were covered in snow and it began to snow. And yet the sun was low enough that it was under the clouds and there was this, this orange shoe going across. And I just remember being overwhelmed at just the majesty of the mountain. And to pause and think that God just spoke this. How does he speak this? And I, I recall... Uh, saying these words, Lord, you're completely out of control. This is incredible. And I, and I know if you've ever been out in nature, <clears throat> excuse me, you've ever been somewhere where you're just overwhelmed, right? You understand that feeling of just saying, this is incredible. See, this is what Paul is doing in this verse. He is completely overwhelmed by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, that God would save his soul. This very person who once was called Saul, who, who gave testimony and approval to the stoning of Stephen, right? He is now at this place when I come overwhelmed. He's grafted me in along with all these other Gentiles and the Jews. One day my countrymen will come back in and he's simply overwhelmed. You know, for us, we have to get overwhelmed with the idea this is who God is. This is the activity of God because Paul knows he doesn't owe us anything, he doesn't owe you anything, not me anything, and yet because of his nature and his character, this is who God is. And Paul is, is simply saying the first part of 11, uh, 36 of Romans, right? For uh, from him and through him and to him are all things. He's saying God made you. He made me. By necessity, this tells us that you have meaning. You have value. The world likes to tell you you're probably just a collection of atoms, right? And then... Uh, you know, you've evolved from this. My older brother always had a joke. He, he would always say, we didn't, we didn't uh, evolve from apes. We were hatched out of melons. You know, that was kind of his joke. And, but the Bible tells us in the beginning, God created male and female, male and female. He made them, right? Humans, this is how he did it. And it realized that you're here, if you're breathing today and you hear these words rattling around in your mind from this guy up here saying you have value, it changes, doesn't it? God just didn't simply make you and go, you know what, here's 20 bucks, good luck in life. No, he makes us, and then he has redeemed your soul. And this is what Paul is overwhelmed at. This is where conviction starts to kick in. He realizes, if he has done this, what else can he do? Well, he can save those around me. I'm going to pray for them. I have meaning in my life. I have purpose. Isn't this what Jesus calls his church to say, look, look, I've called you. You are my disciples. Therefore, go and make other disciples, teaching them to, to observe all that I've commanded. This is what Jesus says, because he is with us, even to the end of the age. So you have tremendous value. God made you. And God, not only that, Paul goes on in that verse in this doxology where he's overwhelmed at the activity of God. And we say, not only has he made you, he's made you for a purpose. To him be the glory forever, amen. You have a purpose to glorify God. God doesn't need, doesn't need us. Intrinsic glory. He is infinitely glorious. He's unchangeable in his glory. But he has so called your name. He's done a work in your life that we get to come like Paul like Moses, to say, you know what? The problems I'm going through in life don't compare to the ocean that's in front of me. 
God is so much greater and bigger than this cup of salt water here. He's a big God. He's grafted me in. He's redeemed my soul. He's called my name. I'm not an accident. I have purpose. And I'm going to glorify him. My question to you, brothers and sisters, you recognizing this in your life? Do you recognize God's purpose? God is shining through you. He is shaping you into the image of his son. You're not a throwaway. You're not a joke. You're not, what the world might say, worth nothing. You have profound value. Have you given thought to this? He doesn't need us. He's called us. Are you responding to this purpose? Are you living your life like Moses and Paul with conviction, with this reason that says, you know what? He's called me. I'm a part of this, this ginormous ocean because that's who God is. Are you living your life like it's just a cup of water? See, if we don't make it our goal to glorify God, right? If we don't understand the purpose, the reasons, we don't have this conviction, we're not fulfilling God's goal in our lives. We are not a mistake. We're not a joke. We're the object of his affection to demonstrate Christ to the lost world. As we close here, I just I want to take a moment and just kind of address what is, what is, what stops us? And what keeps us from saying, you know, this is who he is. My sons and I are going through a book by J.C. Ryle and Thoughts for Young Men and our devotion time together. And we went through this earlier this week, I think, or maybe last week. I told my sons, this is really good. I got to weave this into a sermon. And he's talking about to young men how the fear of what other people think. What will other people think? So he encourages these young men as he's writing this little short book. He said, I encourage you to never be ashamed of letting people know where you're going. I'm going to heaven because of Christ. He says, that thought, what will my friends say or think to me? stops many in our pursuit to glorify God. The fear of being looked at, laughed at, ridiculed, prevents us from proclaiming God's glory. Listen to this quote. He says, There are Bibles that would be read this very day if the owners dared. They know they ought to read them, but they are afraid. What will people say? He goes on, he says, there are knees that would be bent in prayer this very night, but the fear of man forbids it. What would my wife, my brother, my friend, my companion say if they saw me praying? Oh, what wretched slavery this is, and yet how common. 
He goes on, he says, I was afraid of the people, so I gave in to them, Saul said to Samuel. And so he violated the Lord's command for Samuel 15, 24. I am afraid of the Jews, said Zedekiah, the graceless king of Judah. And so he disobeyed the advice of Jeremiah, who gave, uh, who gave it to him in Jeremiah 38, 19. Herod was afraid of what his guests would think of him, so he did what which made him greatly distressed. He beheaded John the Baptist. Pilate feared offending the Jews, so he did that which he knew uh, in his conscience was unjust. He delivered up Jesus to be crucified. He says this, if this is not slavery, what is it? So Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and body in hell. Ryle makes this concluding point, this argument. He says, can man save your soul? No. Will man be your judge in the great and dreadful day of judgment? No. Can man give you a good conscience in this life, a good hope in death, a good answer in the, mor- in the morning of resurrection? No, no, no. And it says, and fear the Lord, glorify him, and no other. Don't let the world keep you. Don't let what others might think of you keep you from glorifying God. Here in a moment, we're going to uh, close with prayer, but before we do that, I want to read the words of this song. It'll be our closing benediction. It's a song called, Is He Worthy? And it simply says this, Do you feel the world is broken? A little bit rhetorical, right? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. Here's the contrast. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? Are you aware of that? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? <laughs> yes, we do. The second verse says, is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? Yeah, it is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? Yes. That's what we've just been preaching about. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? Oh my goodness, yes. Listen to the chorus. Is anyone worthy? We hear, we hear John in Revelation, right? Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Of all blessing and honor and glory, is he worthy of this? Yeah, he is. The last verse says this. Does the Father truly love us? If you don't know that today, you need to come talk to me after the service. Let me explain it to you. Yes, he does. Does the Spirit move among us? We are confident and preach his word, he does. And does Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those he loves? Yes. Brothers and sisters, hear that. He does. Does God intend to dwell again with us? Yes. So I ask you, is he worthy? Don't let the world define how you will demonstrate God's glory. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for this time and your grace and mercy to us. Thank you, Lord, that we can just on your day come together in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and begin to unfold what it means to glorify you, to grow in our conviction, to have the reasons, to set aside what the world thinks, what the world uh, says is right or wrong, and to simply come and say, no, your word says what is right and wrong. So I pray for each soul here today that our, our conviction would grow this way, that when we sing this song here in a moment, we would sing it with all our might, with all conviction, with all reasoning, knowing this is who you are. There are times, Lord, we feel you are far from us, that we walk alone. We feel the world is broken, the shadows deepening, but we know it will not stop you. We know it won't stop you. And we thank you, God. You love us. You truly love us. Demonstrated at Calvary. So, Father, I pray as we close this song, as we come to the end with this message, continue the work in us. Make us mindful, not just here and today on the Lord's Day, but tomorrow morning when we're going through the motions. Let us live our lives for your glory. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.